I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm very lucky to be joined now by Jason Wachob, who's the founder and CEO of Mind Body Green. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. I want to first point our listeners to your website, and it's a clever domain, just three words put together, mindbodygreen.com. Just those three words put together, mindbodygreen.com. Jason, go ahead and give us the elevator pitch for Mind Body Green. Wow, I got so many different versions of this one. Uh, So we are a lifestyle media company dedicated to helping you live your best life. And it is our distinct point of view that living your best life is a blend of mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and environmental well-being. And all those things are interconnected. Hence, Mind, Body, Green is one word and not three. And we bring you tons of amazing content from world-class contributors around the world and online video classes to help educate you and change your life and and also events. So everything that is good for you, um, we give you. So, Jason, I'm guessing that the users, your customer, your stakeholder, however you want to think about it, the consumer of your content is initially accessing you uh, via the web, either on a mobile device or on a desktop device. Walk us through that that experience. How how do I usually get to you, and 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 how do I how does your typical user consume the content? So. Our typical user consumes us, uh, we have a very strong mobile audience, so about 75% of our audience is is on mobile, Uh, but they access through our email newsletter, through searching on Google, or through social media, Uh, and that's primarily through Facebook, and then there's direct traffic, who people just literally type in the domain name. Uh, Mind Buddy Green, and then we have some people who access our content uh, off-platform on places like Instagram and Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And and if I go there, I actually did go here this afternoon, there this afternoon, and for our listeners who are someplace safe at a web browser, like not driving their car, just go to mindbodygreen.com and you can see for yourselves. But it is radio, so can you describe for us what I'm going to see when I go to the website? Sure. So you're going to see lots of content. So lots of articles ranging from uh, how to, um, you know, live your your best life by way of, you know, meditation or yoga or recipes or um, topics around everything from relationships to you name it. <laughs> Everything, if you think what mind, body, green is, you know, once again, that, that literal mind, body, and green, anything that fits under that umbrella, we're going to have content on that. And it is our hope that anyone who's, who's listening out there will, will find something that resonates with them and, and dig deeper. And tell us a little bit about where this content comes from. So the content comes from in-house, we have an editorial team from about, I think that there are about 10 or 12 people who write original content for us. And then we have 5,000 contributors around the world who write for us. And they range from 
best-selling authors, world-class doctors, professional athletes, nutritionists, trainers, and your your average wellness enthusiast. And our editorial team uh, edits that content and publishes the content that they think is is the best. And so, content literally comes from everywhere. So I. I just wrote a piece. I was in China two weeks ago and really overwhelmed by the bike sharing phenomenon that seems to be taking over <laughs> China. If, if so, if I wrote a little piece on bike sharing in China, would how would I get it to you? Would would you do you look at unsolicited content? Is it have Absolutely. to be original content? Yeah. Yeah. So it would have to be original. And mm-hmm. if you go to our homepage at the bottom of the page, there's a submit. Uh, link and you go in there and we have specific guidelines on submissions and people go through that process and they submit a post and it goes to the editorial team and someone reads it and decides this is something that is interesting for us and, and if so they'll, they'll probably further engage um, or, or it's not interesting and uh, but there, we have real people who read every submission that comes in yeah. from around the world. So, so part of your value proposition is that you're not just putting anything up there. So you yeah, do some, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think where we are today in the world in terms of media, there's there's a move to quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. And personally, and and philosophically here at My Buddy Green, we really believe in that. Um, and so we only publish content that we think is great and that we stand by, and we just don't publish content for the sake of publishing content, which I think some people do. Yeah. Um, Tell us about the origin story. Where did Mind, Body, Green come from? So it came from me almost having back surgery. Uh, My background briefly, I'm 42. I went to Columbia, played basketball there, um, had some, 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 Bad losses at Penn back in the 90s. Oh, um, that was what, back in the day. Yeah. So, yeah, Jerome <laughs> Allen and Matt Maloney. I yeah. played my yeah. freshman year and in the end. But long, so, at any rate, uh, shortly after school, went to Wall Street. That's what, that's what people did back then. They, you know, either you became a, you know, there weren't really startups in the late 90s. And so, I became an equities trader and um, you know, d- did well enough where I could pay off my college debt. And then after 9-11, like a lot of people um, affected by that event, I, 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 I was affected and decided Wall Street wasn't for me and left to become an entrepreneur. And uh, various endeavors uh, led me to running another startup where I flew 150,000 miles domestic in one year. And I am six foot seven, so imagine what that looks like in a coach seat. It was not pretty, and the, the, the flying combined with the stress of the startup and an old basketball injury led to two extruded discs in my lower back, pressing on my static nerve, the classic L4, L5, S1. Wow. And excruciating pain, could not walk, went to a doctor. Uh, he said, you need back surgery, and nothing against surgery, but see, it generally is the last resort, and back surgery, the success rates are actually not that good. So I sought a second opinion, and sure enough, that doctor said the same thing. You need back surgery. And it was almost an afterthought where that doctor said, you know, maybe some therapy or yoga could help, but you still need surgery. And so that led me to yoga. And I started some really light yoga, uh, five to 10 minutes in the morning and evening, started to feel better. And that led me down a rabbit hole 
I started to look at things like sleep and stress and nutrition and the environment and made a lot of changes in my life. You know, nutrition, for example, I was a guy who ate so much steak, my face is on the wall of the Palm Steakhouse. Um, I, I still eat meat, not as much, however. Um, and so over the course of six months, I completely healed. And, and yoga played a large role in that healing process. And, and I said, holy cow, everyone has this idea of wellness wrong. Every print magazine leads you to believe it's purely about vanity and weight loss, and that's not it. And then everyone else seemed to have a very singular approach. Oprah was just really about self-help and spirituality and sort of ignored the rest. And we had the print magazines about weight loss. And, and to me, uh, this idea of wellness was about living your best life, and it was nuanced, and it was this blend of mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and environmental well-being. And, and no one was covering it, and, and mind, buddy, green. And that's the idea was to really spread this message of, of living one's best life with our unique lens and do that through content. And so it started with the first blog post uh, with me and back in 2009. Yeah. Well, well, Jason, I, I got to, it's is sort of amusing to me because basically your first startup almost killed you, almost debilitated you, crippled you. And, yep. and then you get through it and figure out what's wrong and, and get yourself well and you, your conclusion is, oh, I need to start another startup. Uh, yeah. So, so what, what was different about the second time around? Well, this and, is actually and, my third, my fourth time. So I was okay. Part your of fourth time around. You, what, yeah. What did you learn it, from from the the business sure. that almost crippled you? You know, I think the the cliches are true. You do learn more from your failures. Um, you know, I think the first startup I was a part of, I learned that. Uh, you really need to understand scale. I had a business that ultimately uh, could be profitable and was profitable but could not scale. Uh, the second business, the one that almost killed me, I learned that only scale when you're ready because if you scale when you're not ready, it can also kill you. And then that business actually, it was a consumer product in every Whole Foods market in the country. It was an organic cookie company. Uh, we scaled too fast and, and it ultimately killed the business. We, we should have gone, if we went a little slower, uh, that business would probably be thriving today. And so yeah. I think those were, those were two big lessons and um, that, that, ultimately helped in a, in a big way. I also think that the something that's also very critical in, in succeeding with the startup is luck. And right time, right place, right market size, right positioning. Um, you know, not to say we didn't work really hard and we're really smart, but I think all those things played to our favor yeah. in the success of My Buddy Green. Jason, you described your first step as writing a blog post, and I, I got a few questions about that. I suppose the first one is, when you wrote that first post, were you really thinking of it as a media empire that, that could scale and could be profitable, or was this just sure. a way to scratch an itch? You know, a little bit of both. I'd say the vision was always big. However, the vision has evolved and grown bigger as I've grown, and I think there was also this idea of I just need to take the first step and see what happens and see where it leads. And I think to succeed as an entrepreneur, you need both. You need that, that ability to take the first step 
and not have all the information you necessarily want and, and, mm-hmm. and take that first step and see, see what happens and also be prepared to take additional steps sideways or pivot uh, and at the same time have the greater vision but be flexible you know, stay, I say, stay true to the mission, but be flexible on how you get there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just as an informal observer of the space, it strikes me that many of the most successful content plays, many of the most successful media uh, companies started and grew quite organically yep. as hobbies or as sidelines. And eventually, they attracted a big enough following that they could they could monetize. Is does that describe the way you proceeded, or did you have yeah. a plan early on to get to something that was sustainable financially, relatively sure. quickly? Yeah, absolutely. I would say early on we ran on pure passion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if we started zero in September of two thousand nine, we didn't get to a hundred thousand unique visitors in a month until January twenty eleven. We didn't get to 500,000 until January 2012. It was around that time when we just started to monetize. So that's two, two years plus where there's, there's no real income. Um, and, and then we started to figure things out around that time. And, and then shortly after the summer of 2012, crossed a million unique visitors, then raised capital. Um, very mindful of doing that at a time we started to become profitable, even though there really was no headcount. Um, and I do think, with regard to your observation on about media, uh, it's an astute one. I think with media, you know, for media companies to succeed, they have to have a strong brand. And I do think having a strong brand takes time. I think if I look at the new media companies that are really successful today. The vices of the world, you know, mm-hmm. vice has been around for 20 years. Refinery29, been around for 10 years. Yeah, We've been around for eight. It takes time to build a strong brand. I think you can, uh, you, you can, you can find ways to optimize growth or growth hack really quickly to build an audience, but does that guarantee trust or strong brand? I don't think so. I don't think you can build that overnight. Well, well, what advice I, I'm, I'm looking at that first three years and I really appreciate your candor about how long it took to get started. Uh, I think we often look at these brands and assume they were overnight successes when in fact there was this really long, quiet slog until yep. they got to the point that they could be real businesses. Were you, were you that self-aware that you said, Hey, I know it's going to take three years to get to a million users, so I'm just going to tough it out till we get there. Or or were you agnostic, or I shouldn't say agnostic, were you, did you view it as an experiment? And I suppose the related question is, how, how were you paying the bills for those three sure. years? Yeah. So I had a very understanding wife at the time who ended up being one of our co-founders where <laughs> I had that opportunity. <laughs> Whether actually, in name or not, she was definitely a co-founder, exactly. right? <laughs> yes, she was. And she, yeah. we work together actually now. Um, and she joined the company in 2013 once we, mm-hmm. once we could support her and us financially. Uh, so the answer is I thought it would be six months. I looked at my wife in, in 2009 and said, I think I can figure this out. I, I think give me six months. And six months was almost three years. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, <laughs> you know, I think a lesson for a lot of entrepreneurs is however, you know, 
doesn't matter how smart you are or what the, the model looks like or the, or the projections. I, I just think a general rule of thumb is however, you, however long you think it's going to take or however expensive you think it will be, it will uh, take much longer and be a lot more costly than you expect. <laughs> that was yeah. definitely the case with me. That, that may be a lesson not just for founders, but for their spouses and partners. Yeah, I, that's probably the more important lesson. <laughs> because we know the entrepreneur is crazy and delusional. So, so that is correct, too. Yeah. Um, I, I want to turn to a, a question that I, I, I couldn't help but reflect on as I looked at your we- website, which is you have you're, you are either experimenting with or have proven out a lot of different formats. You have some classes, you have some video, you have some newsletter, you've got a lot of different formats. And I I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you, how you think about those different formats and whether they're experiments or whether they're the result of experiments and how you've converged on that multi-channel format. Sure. Well, everything starts as an experiment. I am a big believer in leading in and you know, for 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 a company to succeed, um, in a way, you know, we haven't raised a lot of capital. We've we've largely bootstrapped. We've raised some capital, but not a lot. And the only way you can succeed doing that is testing everything. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we we do have different formats, and we we've got our our free content, all those great blog post uh, formats you see on the website, and then we have online video classes. And so the video classes started a couple years ago with this idea to, you know, as a mission-driven company, education was important to us. And so the thinking there was someone, someone reads an article about meditation on Mind Buddy Green, the free content, which we monetize through advertising, and they read the article, and they're all excited. They, you know, they want to learn meditation. And we kind of felt like we, were, we left that person hanging. If I live in the middle of the country, if I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I want, I want to learn meditation, not a lot of options there for you, probably. And so we thought it would be a great idea to partner with one of the best meditation teachers in the world who is a member of our community and a dear friend on a meditation class. And so we, we thought this idea um, had some legs. and We would charge for this class and consumer would pay for it. We would share revenue with the talent. So talent uh, helps earn revenue. My buddy Green earns earn revenue. And we, we help educate, educate someone and potentially change their life. It was a win-win-win. And so we launched with three classes and they were successful. And six months later, we added a couple more and a couple more and a couple more. And now we have, I think, close to 80 classes. Wow. Are they done? Are they asynchronous? That's pre-recorded content, or do you run them with a in a, a live session? So we, the, you can take the classes at your own pace whenever mm-hmm. you choose to take them. They are not live. Uh, we film them all now in our in-house studio here in New York, mm-hmm. and we have even a 200-hour speaking of meditation. We launched with like a standard, you know, here's your essential guide to everything you know about meditation. That's been so successful. We now have a 200-hour meditation teacher training, which is a world-class product that no one's ever done where you can learn to become a meditation teacher. It's a video class and online from that same teacher. and It's amazing. It's one of our most successful products. 
Yeah. Well, uh, Jason, we just have a couple minutes left. And usually when I only have a couple minutes, I ask some really hard question, which is what I'm going to do. Um, the, the, uh, I guess the question is, how important is science to you? I, I was listening to your narrative, and while heartwarming, um, you know, the skeptic in me said, well, how do we know there's a causal relationship between this stuff and something that matters? What, sure. what is your position on science, and uh, does it matter? Sure. I love science. I love that. I actually think we're in this really interesting time where science is catching up to a lot of the things we know intuitively. Um, and so I love when science validates things that, that I think we already know, like some kind of movement is good for you or eating vegetables or meditation or, or, or acupuncture. There is real science that is data-driven that supports a lot of these Eastern practices. And, and I also, and I think that's critical, and I think that's, that's a great way to bring people in who are skeptical. I also think, speaking from experience, that sometimes science has, hasn't caught up, and then it's time to listen to yourself, listen to yeah. your body. Does this feel good? You know, this practice over here, you know, does yoga or whatever practice it is, uh, does it feel good? Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer to listening to your body. And I am also a big believer to this notion that sometimes we just don't have all the answers and no one does. And there's this thing called the universe or God or spirit or whatever the hell we believe in. There's something bigger than ourselves. And that's, that's the way things are. Um, and, and sometimes you just don't have all the information. And, and, and listen to yourself. Listen to your gut and go with your gut. All right. Well, on that note, that sounds like wise advice to our listeners. And uh, I really appreciate your taking the time to, to come in and join us. Thanks so much. It's great to be on the show. It's an honor. All right. Well, you can check out Mind Body Green online at, you guessed it, mindbodygreen.com. Just take those three words, put them together.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at mindbodygreen.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.